Sorry about that. I think they're expecting to play the video when I cut them off. My bad. My bad. Sorry, Melissa. Um, <laughs> hey, I, I just, let's open up with a word of prayer uh, this morning and um, as we open up God's word and talk through our, uh, our saying today. God, thank you so much. Uh, for this time to be here together. Uh, thank you for Eugenia and all of those who uh, have just such a heart for the children of this church and, and disciple them so well and come up with creative ways to connect with families in our church and in our community. God, we just pray over those events that they would be truly life-changing. And the same for Hume Lake, Lord. Uh, Lord, we, we, um, we do this stuff because people are generous. We're so grateful for the generosity of, of Fremont Community Church and allowing uh, kids to go and experience these things. And so, Lord, as people uh, give either in person or online, God, we just ask that you bless um, that, th- those, those funds to, to go towards life-changing ministry uh, through FCC. God, as we open up your word today, we want to hear from you, and uh, we, don't, we want to cut through all of the noise of what's going on in, in the cultures around us, what's going on even internally, um, and the lies that the enemy wants to tell us, and we want to cut through all of that and hear your voice louder than all others. Um, so Lord, we, we're not here to hear my opinions or from me this morning. God, speak through me and through your word. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in this series, if you, if you haven't been here for the last couple of weeks, we're in this series called I Never Said That. And they're the sayings, common sayings that people either assume are in the Bible or they're so just taken for granted. They're so taken for granted that we just put them up there as if they're on par with biblical truth. And uh, so we've been going through and kind of talking through these and it's been a really fun series. Today is probably the trickiest one of all. Um, and, uh, I, you know... As I speak up here today, I ask you to give me grace. Much of what I'm going to say is more of a conversation starter than it is a conversation finisher. Uh, And so if anything I say today makes you go, I didn't like that, that's cool. We can talk about that. My email is... uh, uh, Scott Ritter. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) My email is ehays at gofcc. Nope. What's my new email address? Fremont.Church. Ehays at Fremont.Church. That's the one. Um, And I'm always available for a phone call or a sit-down meeting to talk through this stuff because I'm really just starting a conversation with some of it. When I was a youth pastor, I I once preached on this topic, this exact phrase that we're talking about today. And I asked the kids as we were going into this session, hey, raise your hand if you think the following verse is from the Old Testament or the New Testament. The verse was, to thine own self be true. And I asked them, okay, who thinks this is in the Old Testament? And 90% of the kids raised their hands. I asked, who thinks this is in the New Testament? 5% of the kids raised their hands. I asked, uh, how many people don't think this is in the Bible at all? And there's like five kids in there who raised their hands. And they were the theater nerds who knew this is from Hamlet by Shakespeare, not the Bible. I'm a theater nerd. I'm allowed to say that. Um, and uh, so uh, this is one of those things that is a, a cultural phrase. Be true to yourself. To thine own self be true. It's something that Jesus never said, but it's actually the closest thing I think we can get to a motto of American and Western culture. Be true to yourself. Do your own thing. Be your own person. Don't let anyone else define you. Be true to yourself. And ultimately, we're talking about is identity formation. Who am I? And how do I express that? How do I live that out? But it's also related to our desires. I'm drawn to doing this or having this, therefore I should do this or have this. I'm attracted to this type of person, so not only do I go after that person, I actually make that a part of my identity, who I'm attracted to. Our desires are wrapped up in this phrase as well. Be true to yourself. 
going to spend some time today convincing you that this is not a great motto to live by. That it's actually the dangerous conclusion of hyper-individualism that is a part of the way Americans think and Westerners think. But first, as we've done with each week of this series, I want to point out that there is a seed of truth in this idea. Just like every other one of these phrases, there's always a little nugget in there that if applied in the right ways, it does actually make sense. There is some truth. But there's so many ways it can be applied that it's pretty dangerous. And so the seed of truth is this. At the heart of this motto is the reality that each person, every single individual person, matters. And I think one of the reasons that that this idea of being true to yourself and and individualism takes such root in our, our, our culture is because there was a time where the world didn't treat everyone as if that's true. In fact, that time exists always somewhere, right? We don't need to go too far back in our own U.S. history to see that uh, Jim Crow was the way of the South. Many of you uh, remember that time. You, you lived during that time where, the, the, though people had equal rights under the Constitution, systems were set up in order to keep people from actually living out those rights. Another example, this room is at least 50% female, and judging by this side of the room, it's like 80% female. 100, 100 plus years ago, just 102 years ago, you, you all got the right to vote. <laughs> it's not that long ago. It seems like a long time ago because it's more than a lifetime, right? But in the grand scheme of history, it wasn't that long ago that women didn't have rights in this nation and still don't in many nations. The Bible is clear that God does not see the world in this way. Individuals, every individual, every single person matters to God. In fact, through scripture, God has instilled in the church an equality that was absolutely radical for its time and place. This is one of the things that made the early church so peculiar. In a world that was built on all sorts of inequalities, the church made a place for everyone. And everyone was treated with dignity and respect. And the world went, whoa, what is going on here? And while the church has certainly been complicit in things, uh, certain uh, sectors of the church have been complicit in a lot of evils that have come out through, through our lifetimes, uh, the church has also been a part of solving those things as well. Because individual people matter. Look at what Galatians 3 says. So in Jesus Christ, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For all are one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We are God's children, every single one of us. And in God's kingdom, we are equal. God pushes back on sinful human cultural creations like the ones that we see between ethnic and racial groups. You know, during the time, Jews and Gentile, in this church, that was the ethnic division that was happening. And this passage tells us that within the church, there is no ethnic or racial hierarchy. And and, and so we extrapolate that for our time and place. In our history as Americans, the Bible would say white supremacy is evil. It's demonic. It has no place in the church because it will not exist in the eternal kingdom of God. Neither slave nor free. The slavery that they're talking about here in the church in Galatia doesn't quite look like the, the slavery we know from American history textbooks. It was a little bit different. But ultimately what it is is there was a very serious and, and controlled hierarchy of class based on economics 
And to be a slave was to be at the very bottom of this. And this passage tells us that social status and classism are not a part of God's design and they won't be a part of his eternal kingdom. God sees us all as equals. Lastly, he says male or female. There is no gender hierarchy with God. Men are not better, smarter, more important than women. There is no, sorry, there are differences in genders and that should actually be celebrated, but those differences don't mean that we are of different value. And it's important that we recognize that's how God's kingdom works and live in that now. One other quick passage I want to share with you that demonstrates the seed of truth. It's in uh, Matthew 5. Jesus is talking about how much we matter to God, how much attention and care he, he pays to us. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care, and even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. You matter to God. You are a unique creation of God. There has never been someone exactly like you, and there will never be someone exactly like you again. He knows the exact numbers of hairs on your head, even if that's zero. And don't worry, it's okay. In God's kingdom, bald is beautiful, all right? I heard an amen. (laughs) I'm not going to point out who it was. so there is a seed of truth in this phrase. We, God values every single individual person. We are not out today to, t- to say that, that certain aspects of individualism are bad. God values people, each and every single one. But to base our whole life philosophy on this idea of being true to oneself, it is not healthy. And the Bible speaks to this over and over again. I'm going to rattle through a few passages that just demonstrate how the sin that we have invited into this world and into our lives infects everything. There's not an area of our life that hasn't been at least somewhat twisted up by the power of sin. The story of Noah and the flood starts with this verse. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time, which sounds like a great punk band name, only evil all the time. In the book of Judges, Israel is struggling in their common life together. The fact that they have no king to lead them is mentioned multiple times throughout the book because they were living as if God wasn't their king. It simply says this, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. Everyone was being true to themselves. Go read the book of Judges and tell me how that works out. That's the book of the Bible that you skip over large portions when you're reading with kids because it's horrifying. It's awful. The Bible, in many ways, is the story of how people, doing what is right in their own eyes, being true to themselves, invite chaos into their lives and into the world. One, pa- one more passage that might be familiar to, to some of you. Jeremiah 17. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? How can I be true to myself when my heart is deceitful? I'm not even that good at telling the truth to myself. Why? Because life is easier when I lie to myself. When I tell myself I'm five foot ten. It just is. 
There are realities that we don't want to face. There are discomforts that we don't want to experience. And so we're really good at lying to ourselves. To be true to myself is actually to be a mess. Because I am broken, and we are broken. If we're honest with ourselves, would anybody right now raise their hand and claim that they don't have sin in their life, that they don't have brokenness in their life in some way, shape, or form? No, I think we all are wise enough to know that we're broken. It's like we're compasses. It's like we, we're, humans were created to be compasses that point to our true north, that point to God, that point to the goodness and beauty of the Lord. But we've been smashed. We're broken compasses. And now our arrow is constantly pointing in other directions and we're running after our desires and our feelings. A couple quick examples. How many people in here, your attitude changes depending on whether you're hungry or not? We all know people who get legit hangry and you do not want to be around them until they get some food in their belly. And if something as simple as food and hunger can make change the way I feel and change the way I treat other people, then dang, what about deeper stuff than food? We're in trouble if we're just going to be true to ourselves in every feeling and impulse we have. Another quick example. You guys know I'm a crier. I've cried publicly many times. I've, only, I haven't even been here a year yet. It's at least a handful. And it's because my feelings are unpredictable. I don't get up here and preach and, uh, you know, say, insert cry here. No, I, I rehearse it multiple times so that I won't cry. I cry during movies. Every Pixar movie ever made. Guarantee it. Except Cars 2. That movie was terrible. Uh, sorry. Uh, if that's your favorite movie, I apologize. That was the controversy I was talking about earlier. I've cried during commercials before. When I was in college, one of my jobs was to film weddings. I was a videographer and I would film weddings. I would cry at strangers' weddings. I don't even know these people, but I'm like, it's so beautiful. One of the things that I, I, I can't, I, it, it's inevitable. Every time somebody gets baptized, I weep. I do. Because they're, they're proclaiming with their whole self that they were once dead, but they're now alive because of what Jesus has done for them. That's cry-worthy. Okay, you can't make money fun of me for that one. And by the way, if, if you are a follower of Jesus, you've never been baptized, I would love to talk to you about that. Um, uh, there are a lot of people who have been following Jesus for a long time or a short period of time that haven't taken that step of baptism. I would love to talk to you about that and, and see if that's something, uh, the next step that you want to take in your faith. All right. Many of you know this. It's not just me. Our feelings are, are unpredictable. They are actually uncontrollable. They sneak up on you. And yet many of us live our lives based on this philosophy of being true to ourselves and our feelings. And the scriptures have shown us. Our hearts, our feelings can't be trusted. We are not as in control as we would like to be. And not all of our feelings are good. Let's be honest. If we were being true to ourselves, if I was being true to myself and my feelings, a lot more people would be getting slapped. I'm just, we have anger. We, we experience deep sorrow. And sometimes that sorrow doesn't come from a place of truth. We are, we're, we're twisted up. At just a basic level, the idea of everyone being true to ourselves is the guiding philosophy of life. First of all, it, it will lead to all sorts of inconsistency. It, will, it doesn't align with the Bible and it doesn't actually lead to your flourishing. 
I know that. I've experienced that. So how do we get here as a culture? I just want to do a, re- a really quick kind of history overview of, of philosophy, of Western thought. And if, if this is boring to you, it's okay. I'll tell you when you can tune back in. Um, but I, I recently was in a class with uh, Professor Altazan, who's actually from, uh, lives in this area. Um, and uh, he, he kind of took us through this whole idea here that there, there's been three big, uh, over the last, you know, thousand years, there's been three big cultural shifts in the way that we think about the world. And the first one uh, is called traditionalism, or you could call it um, uh, pre-modern thought. And it's exemplified by a, a priest in a majestic robe. You know, the, the idea was that there, there is an uh, objective truth out there found in God, but there's all sorts of mystery and magic and wonder. And, and at least, though, there was the sense that there is a God, and he is in control of all things. The downfall of pre-modernism is that's what got us witch burnings. Because sometimes when this isn't applied correctly, when we don't order the world rightly, we, we do all sorts of crazy things like burn witches because we don't like them. They weren't even witches. Adrian, my wife, teaches a class about dinosaurs, and she was, she was talking about how when the, some of the first dinosaur bones were found, the scientists who, who found them and started to say, hey, what is going on here? There might, be some, there might be more to the world than we know. Maybe it's a little older than we thought it was. Uh, maybe uh, history isn't quite the way we drew it up. Let's ask some questions. They were excommunicated from the church just for finding dinosaur bones and asking questions because it messed with the worldview. There wasn't an openness to anything new. Any new way to understand God's power and majesty, it was this is how it is. Everything else is, you know, a, a, a lie from the devil. Then we get to modernism, which was exemplified by a scientist in a white lab coat. We can discover all truth through the scientific method, and that will lead to progress. It will lead to human flourishing. How has that turned out? The earth is not in great shape. It's getting worse. Science hasn't solved those problems. In fact, what science has done more often than not is uh, discover things, figure out how to use those things to make a profit, and everything basically stays the same. We found a lot of answers to some intriguing questions, but ultimately, modernism did not lead to making the world a better place. It did not lead to human flourishing. Not in the way it promised. There have been some amazing advancements. So don't get me wrong here. I'm happy that we have some of the advancements we have. But we still face the biggest questions in life that we faced before. And ultimately, what this has led to is what's called postmodernism, um, or some people call it hypermodernism because it's actually just a logical conclusion of modernism. And it's exemplified by a rock star who wears anything but the traditional dress. It's a rejection of modernism. It's, it's a viewpoint that is cynical and says, we haven't progressed. We were promised progress. We were promised a better world, and it hasn't gotten that way. And that's led people to say, well, then there's no universal truth. And if there is, we're not finding it. We don't see it out there. They see the world, if you think through a postmodern thought uh, worldview, the world is chaos. It's not order. And then what that does, it says, okay, if, if it's not found in the church, if, if that worldview, that pre-modern worldview didn't actually answer life's biggest questions, 
and the modern worldview of science didn't answer those questions, then where do we turn to for truth? And what it's done is it's moved truth from the priest to the scientist and now to the individual. The individual. Each move was a reaction to the previous way of thinking, and it didn't work. And so we went searching for someone else, and now the individual is the source of truth. I do what feels right to me. I live by my truth. And the struggle with this is that there is objective truth, but because of sin, we're all twisted up, and we struggle to actually experience objective truth because we're subjective people. And so because that people have taken that and run with that, I live by my truth as if there's multiple versions of truth. If you're on social media, media at all, you know that this is the culture of social media. You have your own individual webpage that's just catered to tell the story about you to the whole world. Be true to yourself is truly the cultural philosophy we've bought into. And again, I want to say it's, it's not a great worldview. It's not dependable because we're not stable. Our desires, our wants, and emotions are constantly changing if we put our identity in our emotions, our identity will change from day to day to day or from gap between meals. When we live this way, we don't realize that it isn't a constructive way to live. It's actually a deconstructive way to live. And, and that word deconstructive, uh, deconstruction is scary to some Christians. I actually don't mind it. Uh, there have been many times where I've deconstructed my faith to get rid of all the cultural baggage that was put on it and told, me, told to me was gospel truth, and then I realized, no, it actually isn't gospel truth, and I need to chip away at that so that I can grab a hold of what truly is gospel truth. But if you don't reconstruct something in its place, then it's, it's, it stops there, and it doesn't actually lead to true life in Christ. It's a reaction to what was before, and we need to then build something healthy. Let me give you one more example of the way that this has worked out in history. Because I think we're more, pro more of a product of our cultures than we want to think. I think individualism is based on a lie. I think we, we are more influenced by the world around us than we really want to believe. How so? Well, Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, he once told, uh, he gave this analogy to make this exact point. And he talked about, imagine a 12th century Saxon warrior. And that Saxon warrior is guided by all sorts of cultural um, norms and ways of thinking, as well as individual impulses. And let's say that Saxon warrior both has a regular urge to bash heads and a regular urge towards same-sex attraction. In that culture, it was totally acceptable to bash heads and not acceptable uh, to engage in same-sex relationships. So, that Saxon warrior would likely abstain for the one or at least be secret about it, but fully live into that head-bashing life he wants to live. Today, if you're a young man, that might be a totally different, it's completely flipped. There is no place in our society for bashing heads. We, we, we reject violence, or we should reject violence, and it's just not acceptable anymore. And yet... Everyone can make any sexual choice they want under this cultural worldview. Be true to yourself. Which things, which emotions get expressed are actually as culturally centered as anything. Whatever this society will allow, those are the things you can chase after. Those are the things that you can indulge in. Now, 
I bring this up, and let me just say here, this is not me doing a whole talk about human sexuality or gender identity, anything like that. That's a different sermon for a different time. But I do want to say, um, this is important that the church has conversations about this stuff. Because one, the church has been really, really bad at this historically. Um, people who have an alternate gender identity or sexuality have been mistreated by the church, by and large, in a way that doesn't make sense. Even though we at FCC would hold to, uh, as an elder team in, in our, our guiding documents, we would hold to what we would call a traditional se uh, sexual ethic, everyone is welcome here. Everyone is welcome to worship here and be a part of this community and to work out these things together. And as we have that conversation, it, it needs to have more nuance and it needs to be more loving and kind. And ultimately, it needs to be much more humble because, to be honest, Christians in their version, in our version of heterosexuality, has not been that great a witness to the world around us. And so we've been casting stones and, and, and pulling out specks in other people's eyes while we have plank in our own. And so I just want to say that because while we do, like I said, hold to a traditional sexual ethic here at FCC, that is a conversation that we need to go deep in because the world around us needs a church that is loving and gracious and welcoming. And how we do that, how do we hold to our standards of, of what we think is, is, is healthy and unhealthy, biblical and unbiblical, and yet be a place of loving kindness for everybody? That's a conversation we need to have and we're going to have. In fact, in the fall, we're going to have some sermon series about that. But let me let close, with, close that section with this. If you're one of those, if you're a person who, who struggles with any sort of gender identity or sexual identity or um, you, you, you don't really know what we believe about that, that's a conversation I would love to have with you. One-on-one -on -one because there is so much nuance, but I ultimately want to say, we're really glad you're here and you're welcome here. So, what if everyone is just true to themselves and their feelings all the time? We don't. We can't. Because deep down we have thoughts and feelings and emotions that are just not from God. They are not good. If I just did and said whatever I felt all the time, it would be awful for me and for everyone around me. We have to fight against feelings. Sometimes because we know they aren't right. They're not from the Lord. They know they don't come from a source of truth. We know that these feelings can't be trusted. So I'm just going to say it. We, we can't be true to ourselves. That is not a sustainable, healthy way of living. If we define ourselves, and instead of letting God define us, there's nothing consistent to be true to. So, where do we find our identity? Where do we find truth? I'm just going to scroll through a few more verses here. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Get that song stuck in your head all week. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the truth. And the church it doesn't, it doesn't always have a perfect record when it comes to truth. Sometimes we get things confused and we, we sometimes add things that don't need to be added and we ignore things that we should be paying attention to. Sometimes we confuse ourselves and others, but Jesus is the truth. He does not confuse us. He won't. He's the truth. He's the main character of the story. And so we look to him and his teachings and his word to seek a truth that lasts. He's the way. The ways of this world, they're often accepted and adopted by the church, but they ultimately fail. 
And that's why we keep moving from traditional to modern to postmodern. And who knows what's coming next? But his way leads us to God. It ultimately leads to true life. He's the life. In him we find life, and in nowhere else will we find life. In Jesus' kingdom, there is a way of life that is truly being alive. It's true human flourishing. Where all other ways fails, uh, fail, Jesus won't. And he calls us to live in that kingdom way here and now, to experience his presence in life and to give a glimpse of that life to the world around us. I'm going to skip ahead, actually, Melissa, to the Hebrews verse. I want to share another verse with you. So if, if Jesus is the way, truth, and life, how do we know him? Well, first I want to say this. It's, it's in community. It's not just me, myself, and the Lord. We work out and figure out what truth is together because I am imbalanced. I will read the Bible and make it say whatever I want it to say. I need people who will challenge me. I need people who will encourage me. I need people who will discern what truth is in my life. Hebrews Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Church is a family. We are brothers and sisters. When you see the word you in the New Testament, it's a plural you almost all of the time, not an individual you. We need each other. We need each other to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. As Christians, we have to resist the hyper-individualism of our culture and say, I actually need other people. I'm writing out a declaration of dependence on other people because I can't do this alone. Other people need to hear from God with me so that I know what truth is and can live it out. One last verse. This is uh, 1 Corinthians 6. And Paul is speaking to this very thing. If you read about the Corinthian church, they were bonkers. Um, they, they had all kinds of crazy stuff going on, uh, and Paul was like, oh my goodness, get it together, people. Um, but he's speaking to this idea that the Corinthians have of be true to yourself. Live however you want to live. Do what you want to do. Get what you want to get. 1 Corinthians 6.12 I have the right to do anything, he puts in quotes, because he's talking about what they're saying back to him. You don't tell me what to do, Paul. I have the right to do anything, you say. But not everything is beneficial. Yeah, you are free to do whatever you want. In our culture, consent and honoring other people's rights are truly the only moral obligations that, that are listed, right? As long as you, know, you have other people's consent or as long as uh, you, you don't interfere with somebody else's rights, do whatever you want. And Paul's saying, sure, okay. That's the way the world thinks, but not everything is beneficial. Then he says this, and he's talking specifically about all the ways that people are chasing being true to themselves. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. 
You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. While we are out there running around being true to ourselves, Jesus gave his life to save us. As we're trying to find our identities in all these different places, Jesus is saying to us, I died to save you. I get to name you. I get to tell you what your identity is. It's in me and me alone. Every other aspect of identity that you might have in your life, it needs to at least be reordered. And there's some identity markers that you need to kill off altogether. I died for you. I get to tell you who you are. This is so crucial that we get this. Because we go out this week and we can live however we want to live. We have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. And so we constantly go back to the gospel to be reminded what Jesus has done and our response, how we live, how we are shaped, how we treat other people has to start there. Our identity is in him and in him alone. And so church as a family, we do this together. And we don't do it as a way of controlling or manipulating people to get them to do what we want them to do. No. We do it to spur each other on so that we can flourish as individuals, but also as a church family. Be true to yourself is what the world tells you. Today, I want to say, tell the truth to yourself. Tell the truth to yourself. Tell the truth to one another. In a loving way. Tell the truth to God. How often do we think we can hide from God and just be like, well, I'm not going to talk about that with God. Like, you know, that's embarrassing. Maybe he didn't see that. Or maybe he doesn't know every thought I have. Or whatever. But we're not even, we, we want to lie to ourselves. We want to lie to God. We want to lie. Tell the truth to yourself. And the reason I say this, and I want to close with this, it's two things. One, Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life is the only way to true flourishing now and for eternity. It's true. You will find all sorts of things that capture your attention for the moment. You'll find all sorts of things that will uh, make you feel good for a season, for a, for a second. You'll find all sorts of things to entertain yourself and numb yourself out with, but it doesn't last. It's not eternal. But Jesus is, and he's the way, the truth, and the life. And so we seek him, and when we seek him, we find him, and he directs our path. And we do it together. And the last thing I want to say is, he's worth it. He's worth it. He has given everything for you and for me. And he did it so that we might have life and have it to the full. So this morning, as we get ready to worship, I'm going to invite the, the band off, uh, back onto the stage. As we close in worship, what, what is this all about? Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life? It's about worshiping him. It's about coming to him and finding life that we cannot get on our own with all the different ways that our compass wants to point us, that the world tells us will fulfill us and make us happy and bring us joy and never lives up to. But instead, we turn to Jesus the one who actually fulfills, the one who does bring life. And so let's worship him and, and remind ourselves that 
He's our identity. Our identity is in him, and everything else takes a backseat to that. Let me pray. God, thank you for this opportunity to be here as a church family. And Lord, I, I, I know I spoke on some things today that are, are hard to swallow, Lord. We want to be the kings and queens of our own lives. We want to live each moment being true to ourselves. But that way has failed me every time in my life. It has not brought me lasting joy. It hasn't brought me meaning or purpose. It has just left me empty-handed. And so, God, we, we recognize that as the constant pull of our culture. It's the constant pull of our own hearts. We need your spirit. Speak louder, Lord, than all the voices trying to grab our attention. God, we need your word. Teach us your truth, God. Let us align ourselves with what you say, not just what we want to believe. And give us a community here at a church that is welcoming and loving, a safe place to seek truth and wrestle with the hard things that we battle with, wrestle with the hard beliefs that, are, that, are, that we want to hold on to. And we do it all because we want to find you, Jesus. We want to know you. We want to be changed by you. We want to have a full, abundant life in you. So meet with us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.